everyone, welcome to Coach Out Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and here's what we've got lined up for you this week. A group of defenders together, and actually they've got one coach there who's showing them some things. But they then have that dialogue with the coach and then communication with each other, and they create plans. So I've seen some really good stuff, but it's, just, it's the practices that are appropriate for them players at that time. In this episode, we spoke to Chris Blake, who has experience as a coach and as an analyst and was perfect for his subject where we talked around developing individuals through analysis and practice. He currently resides in Helsinki, Finland, where he works as a coaching manager, which relates very similarly to the head of coaching role in this country. Coach Help is here to help you. Do you want guidance on your own personal development? Do you want to reflect better? Coach Help's primary focus is to help teachers, practitioners and coaches to do this. Get in touch today to set up a free consultation and ask any questions. You can follow us on Twitter at CoachHelp3 or email us at CoachHelp123 at gmail.com. Hi Chris, uh, thanks for joining us on the Coach Help podcast. Really good to have you on, really pre- appreciate you giving up your time. Um, like I said, we're going to delve into a little bit around like developing players for analysis and stuff. But just to start with, again, like I said, Ben, we spoke a little bit. Um, just tell us briefly what, you, what your background is and kind of what you're doing now. Yeah, well, thanks for having us on. Um, so I, I guess, where do you start? Um, I started coaching in 2003. Um, been really fortunate enough to work with like local grassroots clubs in Carlisle and old uh, football in the community programs right through to being a first team analyst with Sunderland in the Premier League and working with people who won the Champions League and Premier League and international footballers um, and then academy football in between and now I'm a coaching manager or like in English terms maybe head of head of coaching for a club called Afghanistan it's a club based just outside Helsinki in Finland, and I've been here for 14 months. Brilliant. Um, so, like I said, you've, you've worked across, like I said, analysis and coaching, haven't you? Yeah. Quite a bit. Um, is there any reason behind that, or is it jobs, is it just things that come up at the time? Um, I guess interest and then opportunity, right? So, I went to university in 2006, and that was when ProZone was definitely established. Yeah but more of the, I guess, literature and the units and modules were coming into university, so it became more accessible. Um, and you can see where it connects straight away with coaching, or at least the university made that clear. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, jobs and opportunity. Yeah, no, no but So, like, getting into the analysis stuff, um, where would you rank it? In, in regard to like its importance around individual development? Yeah, it's huge. Like the whole, definitely the principle of analysis. Um, I think coaches try and separate it too much, um, but it's definitely in there even without the equipment and the, the technology. But if we, if we include sort of video analysis, data analysis in there, um, it's definitely a, a high up the ranking. Um, nowhere near the importance of good delivery, good relationships, but it's definitely something that's going to help 
help uh, develop the player. Yeah, and then just delve into that. What, what for you have you seen have been the biggest benefits of it? Yeah, um, I guess when when you think about an analysis itself and, and the practice people have used, it's the stuff that's appropriate. So I've seen some fantastic things done around direct behaviours with uh, first team footballers that do this, this will happen, look for this. And then I've seen brilliant things happen with nine uh, coaches of under nines who say, show me times this happened. So um, some fantastic examples are when you get kids in a room, you show them an example of, I don't know, let's take some goal scoring examples. And then you give them their own footage and they come back and say, hey, this is an example of me doing the same thing as Lewandowski or I guess Mbappe now or whatever, you know. And they link themselves to that and put themselves in the process and put themselves next to high-quality players. Um, and then you, you see where you maybe get at first-team level a group of defenders together and actually they've got one coach there who's showing them some things. But they then have that dialogue with the coach and then communication with each other and they create plans. Um, so I've seen some really good stuff, but it's just... It's the practices that are appropriate um, for them players at that time where it's been most effective. Yeah. Because interesting, you probably almost like started to talk about phases there. So it's sort of like, what, what to you would analysis look like at a foundation phase in regards to maybe a YDP and then probably more the pro game? So what, what would the, the definite kind of differences be? Um. The way I'd see it is it's definitely got to be more about the kid and the strength at that foundation phase. You want them to love football. You want them to see what they're doing as positive. You don't want kids to be overcritical too young. It's probably quite a difficult place to be. For example, in academy football, there can be a lot of critique and competition. So you want them to see this as a positive. It could be quite scary, I guess, if... um, if you're watching yourself and you know that the mistakes are going to get highlighted. So you want to develop that relationship with analysis and evaluating themselves from a positive point of view. As you go into YDP, you want to keep that ethos still the same. But you, as they're getting older and getting closer to maybe you know, a scholarship decision, we, we have to appreciate there's going to be some areas to develop and we might want to highlight that. And that would be the same in PDP. I think you keep that same idea, but maybe they're getting a bit older. You may be looking, for example, the FA Youth Cup. You might have decided that in your games programme, this is a, a game you're going to try and win. So you might might use some opposition analysis. You might get access to some data. And you can then start to build game plans. And if you can look at yourself and what you've been doing, you can maybe modify them game plans going towards 18, um, 18 years old the, in the pro game. <clears throat> because that's where, when we get to the pro game, the three points matter, right? They, and they genuinely matter. So we have to get them to understand that this is part of being a player and this is going to be part of your profession. So as analysts and coaches and probably a a wider multidisciplinary team, we have to be quite clear on why we're doing what we're doing. 
and how this benefits them. I think that would be the best way to look at it. Yeah. Because then you mentioned quite a couple of times already around like stats as well. So again, it's important to think analysis isn't just like the video footage, it's the statistical evidence as well. Um, can you give us some, in what kind of forms have you seen them stats used with individuals? Yeah, well, if we look at um, the first team, it's pretty clear what's available. Like Twitter's full of it now, and I'm sure there's some really great stuff happening as, as these clubs grow these departments, these insight departments. The things like the the numbers around XG are becoming more and more accessible to everybody. And so people are understanding that it's becoming more language. I think you can use the principles of things like expected goals to then help younger younger players. Um, in the past, I've, I've counted 800 passes and it's taken me about six hours and it's useless. But if we can put a bit of context, like where them passes are coming from or how many of them passes are forward passes and what we're doing with the ball, that becomes more useful for the player for sure. And that's where you can start to integrate into the coaching process. The shooting maps, the XG, that, that seems to be really helpful because, again, that's context-based. You can, you can literally draw it on, on a pitch and it comes to life with the player. I'm not so sure um, some of the other numbers are as hard-hitting, or not hard-hitting, that's the wrong word, as relevant to the player, maybe more for an analyst sometimes. Yeah, and would you, again, at your club or at clubs in the past, have you used this data with individuals within the academy, so like from 9 to 16 around, the, like almost like evidence around individual plans and stuff. So you've got obviously like the video footage, you've got the coach's eye, but then you've also got some like statistics to back it up. I'm sure there's some really, really good work happening. I've been cautious around 9s to 16s and then yeah. 12s to 16s because I think, well, my background being mainly academy football, I think the variability is huge. Like I know when I worked in as lead YDP, we would change positions regularly. We would have players moving up age groups. We would often have a lot of 16s, not with the 16s group because of with the, with the under 18s. So I've always been careful not to put too much data in there because it might not mean a hell of a lot. What I have done in the past is put it around personal challenges. Yeah. How many times can you do this? Um, for example, when did you do that? Give me examples of this. And, and then they would come back with like some small numbers. The shooting maps have probably been the easiest. And, and we did, I've done some studies in the past around what goal scoring looks like uh, and different ages within an academy. That helped us maybe shape some practices. I don't know how good or bad the science was. It definitely felt right at the time and the intentions were right. But getting this understanding of when maybe first touch finishing became more important because we all talk about first touch finishing, right? Um, but is that so relevant at 12-year-olds? Like how easy is that skill? And is this maybe something that actually comes as they get older? Um, so 
it's helped us ask some questions, helped us design some practices in the past. As you get older, the A teams, the reserve team level, you can start to put maybe some profile together and again, using your multidisciplinary departments. If you have access to a sports scientist who maybe has that GPS data, we can start to go for like a wider analysis of a player profile in say the Premier League, for example. But the data is always for me taking more of a, a backseat in, in academy football. Yeah, it's interesting because I know there's like almost like a balancing act between how much you use and how much you don't use and how it can, like you said, it'd be interesting to like kind of chat a bit more about the delivery now. So again, what would your, a player in your, in your academy, say a 12, 13 year old is struggling with some part of their game, how would you use video analysis, statistical analysis to show that to them and then also almost like put a, an intervention in place with them? It would definitely be a dialogue and I would, I would, I would start so far away from video and data. I'd get on the pitch and try it, get that conversation happening, get them comfortable with the idea. Because if this is something we've gone to with them, that can be really hard to take, right? So we need to soften, soften the edges of that. Yeah. Um, then it would be part of a longer-term development plan, I guess. And then we start to use the footage and provide them with the footage and say like what do you think of these situations what are you seeing here it would a, a phrase I, I heard a couple of years ago and i've tried to use it a lot is like seek to understand so it's like try and find out what the kids seeing and maybe ask some questions that you don't know the answer to um so why did you do that what were you looking for there and we start to get a picture of what the kids thinking and feeling and then there's, a, there's definitely a point then you can go in and say, well, have you considered this, this and this? And here's some examples. Something I've also done, and I've seen a lot of other coaches and analysts work together with players on this, is you, using the role models. The role models are a fantastic way to inspire. And even getting the kid to analyse the role model. I heard, some, I heard about some really good stuff at a first team in the Premier League where basically their manager got the analyst to clip loads of goals conceded from other teams to nothing to do with that team. And then got the defence to critique what had happened in them. So, for example, you're, you're playing for Man United, but you watch Liverpool concede a goal. And they would critique that. But it turns out that because you've got such a big bank of video, it's actually a goal or a situation you think is happening with your team. Yeah. And people are much more, it's much easier to criticise everybody else than yourself, right? So people get into some real detail around that. And then you start to take the edge off and people become comfortable with this critical talk. And then you start asking questions about, well, what if this was you? What would you do? How would you stand? And you bring them back into the conversation and it's a little bit of a safer space. I think the danger with analysis is we use it or it can be used as a stick to beat a player with. Here's an example of you not doing this right. And it's definitely, I don't care what anyone says, it's definitely more prevalent when things are going wrong. Yeah. See this, look at this. What do you think about this? And people might try to be doing it with the right intentions, 
but if people if, if people think of it from the player's point of view, if you keep showing the player negative events, eventually there's going to be some some low some lower self confidence around them movements, um, maybe even creeping into like the learned helplessness stuff if we do it really wrong. And and the worst bit is the intentions have been right. That's really interesting because again, would you? Saying the intention right, would you say there's still a, a place for that within academies? So to actually, because I think I go back to even like personal experiences. It's you said there around trying to make them be aware of kind of their understanding of it. But then I think so. I remember one instance. I worked with a player at ten or eleven years old. This is years ago now, and they we used it to show them their negative reactions in games to referees, which when we actually showed them the footage, they didn't realise they, they shouted at the ref that much. So I basically found a clip where the kid didn't get the throw in his way. He kicked off at the ref. As he's throwing his arms up, the kid who scores the goal from the quick throw and has run off the back of him. So he's obviously left his player. And But the thing is, but then looking back at it now, from knowing the kid, like you said, talking about relations and stuff, I think I knew the kid could handle that because he was a very tough kind of street kind of kid. Whereas I don't think I'd have done it with probably a quieter player or I think I actually did it with the right kid. Like that kid's got grit, determination, kind of a real kind of honest upbringing. Um, but I, I felt that worked in a real positive way because I saw a reaction straight away of, wow, I didn't realise I shouted at the ref that many times. And because there was a, a consequence in terms of the concede a goal from it, it was like almost like an instant thing, right, I need to stop doing it. I think, uh, I think you're dead right. And it, it, that's where it's the skill of the coaching, it's the art of coaching, right? You've got to understand mm. the relationship, understand the person. That's why it's so much more than data, video. You've got to bring the human side into it. Um, and I think if there's purpose, and again, if it's psychologically safe, yeah, I think I think it helps you and the player create a forward plan instead of just saying, "Hey, this is what happened. This is what you should do." They're actually working with that player to find a better yeah. outcome. Um, how would how do you f- feel that fits in like a first team environment? Because again, you worked at that level as well. Do players respond better at that level to just a manager pulling them in and going, watch these five or six negative clips because this was poor, or have you seen it reverse the other way? I think first team players are probably worse than the kids. <laughs> um, yeah. F- first team managers, in my experience, are like generally really good with relationships and they understand the player, and I think they know when to give give that player the hard the hard lesson and then when the other one like when it's a discussion and but they're adults right so that you've you've got to make this like uh it's got to be collaborative it's got to be on an adult level that you know they're they're valued in this and i feel like if, as long as everybody understands what where we're coming from and what the aim is and the most important thing with feedback is there's a there's a positive end 
and there's a positive path going forward. Yeah. Um, you're not just going to show centre-back examples of them being beaten at the front post. You're going to show them the examples. You're going to have that discussion. You're going to ask questions. What do you think? And then you're going to find some time fairly immediately to practice it. You know, you're not going to leave them stewing on it for 48 hours. Yeah. So you're going to probably get on the training pitch and do a little bit extra after training, or you're going to set up some defensive situations and they know it's for them. And I would imagine across, across the footballing world, there's some excellent examples of coaches going in and doing that. As we understand the psychological side of things more and more, but the relationship stuff's huge in coaching and the, the more you build that relationship, the more you break down the idea of the guru and we make this more of a dialogue, I think the more people come on board. And once they're on board, that's when the good stuff happens. Because they're probably coming to you then and asking questions. Yeah, you can, definitely. You know, like, there's some fantastic, like now we've got things like WhatsApp and there's easier ways to share media. You can send something to a player or a player and a parent or a group of players and you can like pre you can give them that pre the event so it's like hey this, these are the situations what do you think um, digest that we're going to go and practice that now or we're going to we're going to go like this is the problem we're going to go and try and solve the problem so they're already like at home thinking about how they can move forward yeah you prime them aren't you basically before yeah. Because again, there's a, there's a piece around I've seen it done really well, like you said, clubs and coaches that that show the players the session beforehand straight away. You're getting them, you're getting them lined up, which is which is great. Have you seen any kind of good practice, best practice around almost like player led analysis and whether that's post match, pre match, individual stuff? Yeah, the, the under-18 at Sunderland used to do some excellent work with the analyst and they would do a lot of their six-week reviews. Um, a lot of it would be around what they thought and felt and then they would have to back that up with video. And with the help of the analyst, they would create a two-minute montage of these things and they would be very much encouraged to do good and bad. And then they would present that back to the 18s coach instead of the 18s coach creating the review the player created the review and then it became like it invited the coach in to talk about that. Um, so that, that was, I always thought that was excellent. It was always great to watch. Um, we used to do quite a lot of stuff at Carlisle where we'd leave a loop on in the changing room um, of like inspirational clips that were in line with our coaching theme for the week. And then coaches would just basically ask questions and get discussion happening. And it was really informal analysis and it wasn't always right, but the kids were engaged in the process and they're again being primed for the session. I always thought that was excellent stuff. It was great to watch. And it was so, so nice to watch the lads getting into it um, and being a little bit critical of themselves, but then other people supporting them. Yeah. And, and bring it like it was, a, it was like a community of learning, even though the kids didn't realize. And then there's a lot of good stuff happening around like coach education right now and people creating these like sort, sort of self-organized learning groups and sharing video with each other of their own practice and filming and recording 
how they're talking and using the data around behaviors a lot of that stuff is is really next level and if you think back 15 years ago there's probably people doing it but now this is happening at all levels you know the fa getting into grassroots and recording people so it's only going to improve football overall yeah is there any other sports you've kind of or well, it doesn't have to be sports, could be just industries that you've looked into that you feel do some things really well that maybe we could we could steal or nick or we have stolen. I always remember reading uh, Clive Woodward's book um, about the the 2003 World Cup winning team and that process, and he talked about how they used to review the good moments instead of the bad. So I guess that's influenced a lot. A lot of yeah. what I've done. Um, I've been lucky to speak to some like American military guys. Obviously, they never tell you what uh, what they were exactly doing. Um, so that must mean they were good. Uh, but they talk about like hot reviews and basically reviewing immediately after with emotion and like everything on the table, but no major decisions being made straight away. Then reviewing right. that later, so you basically get the emotion out immediately. Then you sleep like sleep on it or sit on it, depending on the time of the day then you review it again. And if you have time, you review it a few days later and you can look at the decisions and the process and almost reverse engineer uh, the situations. Um, so I, we've tried to use that a little bit um, since I've arrived in Finland, like straight away, what do you think about that game? What do you think about your session? Is it what you expected? What have the benefits been of that? Um, it's been a, again, like I keep using the word safe, but it's been a really safe space to just say, right, say exactly what you think. Because we know there's a part of like, like the hot-blooded emotion around it. Yeah. So nobody's, you know, it might hurt initially, but nobody's offended and it doesn't last. So that hot review's been really successful. Um, and then when you're, like from a head of coaching perspective, you can say you felt, you felt the, uh, the right winger was 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 rubbish today what do you think now and then they stop and they think about it and you can think about the whole process and they go no i still agree and we'd worked on this all week and you leave it out there if if, if as a head of coach and you don't say as much they start to keep going into it and into it and they they explain the reason so now they've got the emotion out the way immediately they're now thinking about the more coherent message and getting into a deeper analysis and evaluation of what's going on. And then you're able to ask that question. So what are we going to do about it? Is there anything we need to do about it? And that, that helps us move forward quicker, I think. Yeah. It's interesting with player. Because then I flip it around because I know like, there's a lot of stuff at the minute around player-led um, let them have more ownership of it. Again, it might be from a first environment you've been in, but have you seen what's like a really good example of some like ultimately like coach led things in terms of analysis? So, was there some really good coaches who presented really well? Um, the yeah, detail, so, that kind of stuff, yeah, definitely. I mean, like that's where the coach really adds value, right? You get if you're lucky enough to work with some good coaches. As an analyst, you go with like the a lot of stuff. Um, the coach then 
digests that and comes back with some small details and they they then talk about what's been going on during the week yeah and then you you keep working together sort of throughout that week to come up with like this really coherent message that then the coach brings to life with the players i think as an analyst you you definitely should have your own opinions feelings and uh, almost philosophy but you've got to understand that the coach is like the strong message deliverer for the players. So you then we've got to work with the, the coach for that. And the deep details around body position or the things they're looking for. And if you work, if you've been lucky enough to work with a coach who's been like an ex-pro and had lots of games, they then bring in things that perhaps the an eighteen-year-old hasn't considered yet. You know, like start to look at them body position things or little movements you can do to to block a run that with the greatest respect academy football doesn't maybe prepare a player for yeah um so them them like sort of the dark art stuff is definitely very very good when you get the coach at an older age and then and then i guess uh at first team level clear game plans it's amazing how when a manager comes in and says, this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to do it, and this is why you're important. And you see players lift. You know, these are guys who've played a lot of football, earn a lot of money, and they lift, and it's like it's the first game of football they've ever played, and they're ready to go, and they believe they can go and make a real difference. And when you've been at a team that have been in a relegation battle, it's really interesting to see guys like lift again with this clear message, this motivational message. Um, and they know exactly what to do on the pitch. That that's really interesting stuff. No good. And just lastly, to kind of like wrap it up a bit, Chris. Yeah. Where where do you kind of see it going? Analysis. If you were to predict predict, I don't know, five, ten, fifteen years, what do you see coming, or do you know of anything that's coming? Uh, um, I know there's like more, like they're getting into more and more of the stats. So probably some of these really detailed stats are going to become more accessible because as we move on, people just digest it more. There's some fantastic stuff happening on social media that then falls into the mainstream media. Um, so that'll be interesting to see where it goes and how people report on performances and help and how coaches use the data to make sense for the player. Yeah. Um, It'd be interesting from a coaching perspective how virtual reality goes because I'm sure, well, there's definitely good work happening, but imagine a world where somebody can put a headset on and be back in that moment Um, because obviously the game is very different from a high angle off the pitch to being a central midfielder with the runner going by you. And so if that was more accessible to more players than... I think there'll be some really interesting conversations and coaching that can happen in that. And that can then link to basically people who are recovering, uh, people who are injured. That might be like the future of developing injured players who can't get on the pitch. I mean, in 15 years' time, come back to me and just say, Chris, you were talking absolute rubbish. (laughs) Or you'll be be the multimillionaire that's... That's made it. I definitely won't be a multi-millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> no, but brilliant. Thanks for your time, Chris. Top man. No problem, Lewis. Thanks for your time.